Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Cher Martinetti, and this is Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. Unless you've had your head in the sand for a solid decade now, chances are you're well aware of the Chris invasion of Hollywood. There's Hemsworth and Evans and Pine and Pratt, four tall, handsome men who share the same first name, as well as various attributes that have defined them as the leading men of our generation. It's hard to talk about this era of pop culture, so dominated by superheroes and franchises, without discussing how these four men fit into that narrative. Want to start a fiery argument on the internet? Just ask people to choose which Chris is the best one. And um, for the record, it's Evans, duh. We could be here all day talking about the Chrises. <laughs> Believe me, we've done it before. However, our focus today falls to the woman who's arguably more responsible for the current era of Christum than anyone else in Hollywood. These actors weren't plucked from obscurity by the Hollywood machine to become instant stars. Someone had to find them, to fight for them and cast them in their roles. That process is one of the industry's most misunderstood processes, and it also happens to be a field dominated by women. Today's forgotten woman of genre is casting director Sarah Haley Finn. For those of you that don't know, or maybe are fortunate enough to have never experienced the casting process, it's basically the act of selecting an actor for a role in a film, television series, play, and so on. It's a long and repetitive process that most actors dread one that can often involve dozens of auditions before a decision is even made. Actors are called to audition, typically before a panel of casting directors and individuals within the production, like the director. Sometimes they'll read from the script from the project, and other times they'll have prepared a monologue or piece themselves. The job of the casting director is to help select those auditioning actors and navigate them through the process. They'll contact various talent agencies and managers looking for specific talent who they feel would be right for the roles at hand. The process isn't simply pointing to an actor you love and getting them the leading role. There are countless mitigating factors at play that make the cycle a minefield for any casting director. There may be demands from directors and producers over what they do or don't want, but no real specifics to work from. That actor who may seem perfect for the part might be all wrong once they've actually auditioned for it. Or the right person for the right role might be shoved aside in favor for the hot star of the moment. Or the right person in the right role might have some indiscretions in their past that have to be vetted before they can even sign on to film. Kate McClanahan, a veteran casting director, described this conundrum to the Huffington Post. 
Articulating what's needed and wanted from the talent rarely comes easy to the client. Whether the client is looking to hire you as a talent, is a corporate client, an advertising, a writer, producer, or a director. In fact, as counterintuitive as it may seem, many directors won't offer you any direction at all. And the bigger the production, the less you can count on getting quote-unquote direction. The common catchphrase we hear from so many directors is, I'll know it when I see it, implying that they expect you, the talent, to create something that they can work with before they'll offer you any kind of guidance. Finn explained her own process in a red carpet interview with Mingle Media TV. Wow, there are so many things, but I think initially you want to be struck by the charisma of the actor. Uh, that can, uh, they can come in all different shapes and sizes and looks, and there are so many different kinds of movies that I work on, and every film is different, and every director's vision is different, but really you're lifted and struck by someone's charisma, that sort of, they call it star quality. However, the final choice for a role is the responsibility of the director and the producers, not the casting director. This can create conflict, and it also frequently robs those working in casting of the credit they deserve. Notably, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences doesn't offer an Oscar for Best Casting, although many in the industry have fought for one for decades. Casting Society of America President Pam Dixon told The Hollywood Reporter, perhaps because the craft of casting doesn't involve an avid, a sewing machine, or a camera, some may wrongly perceive it as less skillful and less crucial. Richard E. Grant called for the creation of a Best Casting Oscar and BAFTA Award this year, telling Screen International, I've wondered whether it's because it's female-dominated that it hasn't been as to the forefront of other awards. There should be a category for them. Casting director comes up in the list of credits so far ahead now compared to where it was 10 years ago. I genuinely do not understand why there is no category for them in the big awards ceremonies. You know why, Richard. And spoiler alert, it's totally because it's female-dominated. According to 2018 statistics by Women in Hollywood, 83.4% of the casting directors on the top 300 films of the previous three years were women. Historically, it's a role that has mostly been filled by women and remains one of the few areas in the entertainment industry that's undeniably dominated by women. That may be one of the reasons why it's an oft-ignored part of the business. In the 2013 documentary Casting By, which focused on many of the most influential women in casting, the director Taylor Hackford sneered at the notion of casting directors even using the title of director, claiming, the reality is you're not a director, and we take exception to being called a director. You're a casting person, casting by, but I do not call them directors because they're not. It escapes nobody that film directors are mostly men in the business. But his opinion remains a popular one among his fellow directors. Their vision is the only one that matters. And they don't want to share the credit for having found the star that made their movie such a hit. Once again, women's labor is undermined and hijacked by men. This is what makes Sarah Haley Finn's work so important. The Marvel Cinematic Universe as it exists is in large part defined by the work she did. Every film in the franchise bears her fingerprints. And without her, the most profitable film series of all time would be a very different experience. Biographical details of Finn's life are scant, but we know that she's been working in the business since 1995, where her first credited title as casting director was a TV movie remake of Escape to Witch Mountain. The lead role of that film was taken by a rising child star called Elizabeth Moss. 
She worked her way through various projects from indie dramas to horror, blockbusters like Mission Impossible 2. But the turning point came in 2008 with a film called Iron Man. Finn explained in an interview with Discussing Film how she joined the Iron Man team. So I had worked with Louis Esposito on SWAT prior to the yeah. first Iron Man, and he called me and said, you know, do you want to come in and meet on this? I have children, I have three boys, and they're big fans. We had watched Fantastic Four about 50 times. And um, so I knew the world a little bit. I didn't know that character exactly, but I was really excited to meet on it. And uh, so that's it. I came in and met. I, I got that job, and one thing led to another. It's easy to forget now, but Iron Man wasn't all that big a deal when it was announced. The project seemed risky. Another superhero movie at a time when they weren't making a ton of money. And directed by the guy who made Elf and starring an actor better known for his personal demons. It seems bonkers in retrospect that Robert Downey Jr. would be the top choice to headline a mega franchise. Many people at Marvel Studios did not want Tony Stark to be played by the guy from Ally McBeal. But the casting team and director John Favreau fought for him. And so history was made. It's impossible to imagine anyone else but Downey in that role now, in part because he helped to craft that version of Stark through the screenwriting process. The casting team saw something in him that executives didn't or wouldn't, and that risk paid off massively. Without the success of Iron Man, the MCU simply would not exist. Finn and the Marvel casting team's influence can be found throughout the entire first phase of the MCU. With Thor, Director Kenneth Branagh's original choice for the lead role included four actors, and none of whom were named Chris Hemsworth. Can you imagine Daniel Craig, Branagh's top pick, as Thor? Or the other Hemsworth, Liam? Yeah, I can't either. And for Captain America, Chris Evans didn't even audition for the part. He had already played a superhero in Fantastic Four, but he wasn't on the shortlist for Steve Rogers. John Krasinski was. And he made it so far into the casting process that he even did a costumed screen test. But he felt he wasn't right for the part and took himself out of running. Captain America director Joe Johnson said he knew from the moment Evans dropped by Marvel HQ after getting the casting call that he was perfect for the part. Perhaps the best sign of Finn Savvy as a casting director is with Guardians of the Galaxy and the part of Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. Director James Gunn told Geek Nation, we actually screen tested at least 20 people, big stars, no names, looking for the right person because I really wanted somebody who could embody this character and take it beyond what was on the page in the same way Robert Downey Jr. did for Iron Man. And nobody blew me away. Then Finn made a suggestion. What about the guy that plays Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec? Gunn was not impressed as he explained in a Q&A with Finn and Kevin Feige from 2018. So Sarah kept trying to get me to see Chris Pratt. And I'm like, what, fat guy from Parks and Rec? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm like, he's fat. And, uh, and she's like, well, no, you really got in shape for Zero Dark Thirty. I'm like, yeah, but since then, he also got fat again. <laughs> but really, I didn't, you know, it was more, I just didn't, I thought he was goofy. Like, I didn't, I had seen maybe, like, I'd seen him in one scene and in Parks and Rec, it wasn't a show I watched, but I remember seeing him in one scene in an office where things were falling around, it was goofy and he was getting hit by stuff, and I'm like, that guy? He's stupid. So I said, I kept saying no, kept saying no, kept saying no, 
And then one day she tricked me because I went, she said she didn't, but she did. She tricked me because I went into the office to see some other actors that I had okayed. And then all of a sudden, oh, here's Chris Pratt. And I'm like, okay, I guess I gotta see him read. And so we went in and we watched him read. And this is no lie. This is, I've said the story a million times and it's 100% true. Within 20 seconds of him auditioning, I'm sitting here and Sarah was sitting back up on that second level up there. Yeah. And I turned around and I said, he's the guy. And he was. We knew it. Yeah. I knew it immediately. For the most part, the MCU's casting has been spot on. There have been a few slips. Mickey Rourke and Iron Man 2, anyone? <laughs> For the record, I do not agree with that. The scriptwriter wrote that but less so in terms of the major roles. A whole generation of heroes has been created from this past decade of Marvel Studios, and they don't always look or act like we expect Hollywood movie stars to. Sure, Chris's Evans, Pratt, and Hemsworth are handsome, muscled white dudes, but they're not this generation Schwarzenegger. They're more comedic, more sensitive, more of our times, and, dare we say it, more attuned to female audiences' tastes. Robert Downey Jr. was best known for playing neurotic jokers and Charlie Chaplin before Iron Man, but he fell so effortlessly into the old-school leading man style without losing his own persona. Tom Holland? He was the third actor to play Spider-Man. But his endless enthusiasm and gymnastic physicality make you wonder how the hell they ever let anyone else touch that part. These aren't the uber-macho, gun-toting action men of the 80s and 90s, and that's a good thing. This era of blockbuster cinema so easily could have been defined by the same old movie stars, but Marvel's casting knew to take a different route. Finn's attached as casting director to the next phase of the MCU, all the way up to the Eternals. And she's also working on much-anticipated projects like The Mandalorian, The Lion King, and Detective Pikachu. She'll continue to have major influence over the Marvel franchise as it moves into Phase 4 and beyond. The world of casting remains one of Hollywood's great secrets. It's a crucial part of the industry where women do the vast majority of the work and are depressingly likely to see the credit for their efforts given to male directors and producers instead. Making movies is a collaborative process and the work of those team members on every level should be credited. That's why Sarah Haley Finn's work matters so much. Because without her, the landscape of modern blockbuster cinema and the heroes we adore would probably be a lot less exciting. So we thank her for it today. And we wonder who her favorite Chris is. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Kaylee Donaldson and narrated and produced by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.